Hello and welcome to Comic Book Herald Live. I'm Dave Busing, founder and editor-in-chief of ComicBookHerald.com. Hey everybody, thanks for joining here as we get started a few minutes early talking all things Marvel Comics, what's going on in the world of pop culture and comics at large today. If you can hear and see me and you're here live, first off, thanks for joining. Let me know if everything's working okay and we will go ahead and dive right in. Today should be fun. We're going to talk about the X-Men comics that came out today. Of course, today's Wednesday, new comic book day, so we're going to talk about what's new. We're going to talk some Sabretooth number five series conclusion. God bless a back-to-back Sabretooth week. The scheduling got super wonky and weird, but they wrapped it up in back-to-back weeks, which I appreciate. The five-issue mini is done, but of course, there will be more. We'll talk about what it is, and we'll also talk about the fact Dave Stinney's back. Dave Stinney is back. I nailed it. I called it. I called this over a year ago, what the follow-up to Sabretooth was going to be. Now, granted, tremendously different, (laughs) at least it appears to be, than what I was anticipating the series might do. I was anticipating where it might go, but I did technically call the name Tally Another One for Dave Stinney. The predictions... They just don't stop. They just, I wish I could turn it off, right? Like if Destiny could turn it off, I think she would, right? That's what we learned in Immortal X-Men number three. I feel similar. I wish I could turn it off. It can't be done. Future predictions are here to stay. Uh, We're also going to talk about Legion of X number three, comic I'm less jazzed about. We'll talk about that. We are also going to talk about, if there's time, I've got the best Marvel comics of 2022 list Locked and loaded, I think. I think I've got my top 10 solidified. I'm going to share what those are, a little sneak peek ahead of that actually going live. And then finally, I want to share here, I got this in the mail yesterday, the Uncanny X-Men trading cards, the complete series of cards illustrated by Jim Lee. I have not cracked this puppy. This is via Abram Comics Arts. If you're sleeping on Abrams as like a comics publisher, um, and is a comics company, stop. They're putting out some of the coolest stuff this year, and I'm not just saying that because I'm holding this book that I'm super excited about. Like, they've got really, really interesting projects consistently. They have an interesting collaboration and connection with Marvel. That's where the Alex Ross Fantastic Four project is going to come from. Like, that's not a Marvel-owned thing. That's coming out via Abrams. Um, they're going to have works via Brian Michael Bendis. There was an announcement a while back, right? Like, they've got big-name comics coming in they have all these really interesting pieces of history and and ephemera in the comics universe so we may do a little flip through of the jim lee comic book cards as we go this is something i did not experience as a kid right i was i was so these are these were 1992 you know final jim lee at marvel moments before he leaves for image comics with the image revolution i was a lad i was but a wee lad too too wee to even enjoy X-Men trading cards. I'm sure if I'd been like seven or eight, I would have loved these things. Um, but I did not. So, all right. So we'll talk about that as we get there. Uh, but in the meantime, we're going to start with Sabretooth number five and Legion of X number three. As always, if you're here live, thank you for joining. Get in your questions and your comments and all that fun stuff here in the live chat. I will get through what I can. The super chat is open and available. Any super chats will be prioritized, of course. And I will definitely answer what you have there. Um, I'm seeing from Brayden, you need your own destiny mask. I'm open to it. I am open to every time I nail a prediction wearing a Dave Stinney mask. Um, Find me a good one. I will do it. You know, for years, like literally for years, I've put about like 13% 
of my heart <laughs> into finding a genuinely good Dr. Doom costume, right? Every Halloween, I would love to be Dr. Doom. It's hard to find a really good one that you can just like out of the box have, you know, without like totally breaking the bank. There's a lot of like DIY, make your own stuff. That's not me. Sorry, that is not me. Uh, shouts to those who can do it. It is not my skill set, definitely. Uh, but a Dave Stinney mask sounds pretty easy, honestly. Um, all I would need then is a blue cape and take my pants off. And I got it. I got the Dave Stinney look down. Uh, and that's, I'm halfway there already, right? So, all right, I'm here for it. Uh, somebody point me in the direction of a Dave Stinney mask. I will definitely get one. I'm looking forward to, to wearing that, honestly, because... Here's the thing is like, as we talk about these comics, I'm just, I'm gonna keep predicting stuff correctly. It just keeps happening. I was on Sabretooth forever ago, forever ago. All right, let's talk about that, that book so we can, we can talk about the specifics of what I'm referring to. Let's go, Sabretooth number five. Okay, Sabretooth wraps up today with issue number five, a five issue mini, but it is clearly, clearly a setup for the second part of um, Victor Laval's Triptyke. As he's called it, right, in the interviews leading up to Sabretooth, it was like, this is going to be like, a, it's three separate miniseries. They're all going to be interconnected. I mean, there is there is a Sabretooth number six coming, you know? It's just going to be called something else, and we'll talk about what that might be. Um, but this is all in the works, no surprises there. I think as a result, Sabretooth number five, it doesn't feel tremendously conclusive, you know? It's not it's not earth-shatteringly or Krakoa-shatteringly um, big, but it is the ending that I think a lot of us foresaw and also with some twists and some complications and some exciting developments about what is coming next in the second part of the series without, without being all about the build, right? I think on its own, on its own, these five issues of Sabretooth, writer Victor Laval, pencils Leonard Kirk, colors by Rain Burrito, letters by Corey Pettit, on its own, these five issues are five of the best comics of 2022, Five of the best Marvel comics of 2022. One of the best series of the entire Krakoa X-Men era. I mean, it's it's up there. Truly, it is up there. Um, I did the list, I think, last week about, you know, what are my what are my actual all-time post-Hoxpox favorites? You know, Sabretooth's in the conversation with any of them. With any of them. I mean, it doesn't have the gravitas or the Krakoa specificity about what the era is going to be that obviously a Hickman X-Men could have had, but it's also way more consistent and way more pointed and direct and clear about what it wants to be. Um, it's a brilliant, brilliant five issues. It's really well done. Again, a Sabretooth series was not something that I think myself or a lot of folks we're going to come into this and say like, oh yeah, this will be, this will be one of the best comics. Um, and it is, and it does that by making the focus about the flaws of the nation, about Krakoa's flaws, about the way that it is a story of a people who are hunted, feared and hunted for who they are. And they turn and they can finally have their own nation. And then they take and make some of the same mistakes, some of the exact same mistakes of the societies that they left, right? In, in terms of how they're imprisoning and who they're incarcerating and these sorts of things. And Laval's calling out hypocrisies. He's doing it using 
real world history. He's doing it using the metaphor of the mutant experience on Krakoa. It's all incredibly smart. It's pointed and it's super well done. I mean, I'm not going to do the whole list, but it's like go through the X-Men comics that have come out since House and Powers and find something that is as deliberate with it as um, scathing, like as, as well executed commentary okay, on anything, <laughs> on literally any subject that matters that Sabretooth is able to pull off here while simultaneously being a fun mutant story. You know, like it's still X-Men. It, it's, you know, the mutant he- metaphor, as it stands, can be overutilized. It can get too heavy-handed. It can get stretched in ways that don't actually serve either the comic or the point that is trying to be made. And Laval walks that line. I mean, for my money, this is his best comics work by by Miles. Um, and I don't say that as someone who dislikes his other comic work. I like The Destroyer a lot. Um, that reinterpretation of Frankenstein. His, his miniseries Eve, which is really, really sort of a climate change warning kind of book, is really interesting and well executed. And I, it's actually one that I want to re-explore. But I think Sabretooth is his best work. Um, and Leonard Kirk, Rambrado, Corey Pettit, right? They're all doing great work here. So it's, I think, it, it's not what I expected, but it is what I hoped it'd be. Um, and, and this fifth issue kind of ultimately, ultimately the fifth issue of Sabretooth, it cements what we knew was coming, but the build there was way more effective than I think I anticipated. And what we knew was coming was Sabretooth getting out of the pit, (laughs) right? At the end of House of X, Sabretooth is thrown into the pit. He swears vengeance. What we knew was coming. If there's going to be a Sabretooth miniseries, he's getting out of the pit, <laughs> okay? And then the execution of it and, and sort of the how of it definitely becomes something a little bit different, you know? And what was interesting in Sabretooth number five, so the setup for this, Sabretooth's working with his crew of, of individuals who have also been thrown into this pit, which is now a hellscape modeled after Sabretooth's own sort of warped mindscape. And, um, and he's like, all right, guys, like, we're going to start a revolution. He's like, say you want a revolution, right? Like, Sabretooth, he, like, he loves, he loves Lennon. We all know this. And, uh, and he gets them going, and he's got them connecting with people on Krakoa, including Mole, who's, like, immediately a fan favorite, right? Bling gets some moments, Shark Girl, right? Really, really good cast of characters. And they do their part. And their part ultimately leads to Magma. Good old Magma. (laughs) I don't, I don't know if Magma's always like one of my least favorite kind of characters in New Mutants never seems to quite have anything to do. Um, I think, I I think a lot of my disdain, disdain's too strong. A dislike of Magma is her connection to Nova Roma and just not liking Nova Roma stories. I think I like her, I like her a lot more disconnected from that, but all that's besides point. The point is (laughs) they convince Magma. They're like, all right, yeah, as part of this revolution, uh, punch Krakoa in the belly and make a volcano erupt. (laughs) <laughs> okay, so they do that. That sets the stage for uh, uh, issue number five to basically begin with this volcano erupted. Basically gave Krakoa, like, the munchies, I guess. And uh, and Krakoa then had to sap the psychic energies of everyone in the vicinity, knock them all out, setting the stage, setting the stage for Sabretooth to escape on his own. On his own. Of course it was a con. Of course it was a long con, right? Sabretooth is a schemer. Sabretooth is a schemer. He does not play well with others, okay, at all. Um, that's been one of the things that Laval has executed so well here. Sabretooth's not a hero, right? Any empathy 
that we build for this individual is more about our own dislike of Krakoa's flaws, our own anger at Professor X's arrogance and mistakes than anything it has to do <laughs> with like rooting for Sabretooth, right? Like if Sabretooth was right, it's because he was made a martyr by people who were wrong, not because of any decision or action he's taken. <laughs> okay, and that's a tricky balance to walk, and it works here. And of course, Sabretooth then runs. He's going to take a ship out of Krakoa. He is accosted on the way by Mystique and Destiny. Um, some great dialogue through this, including Destiny being like, hey, Mystique, please stop beating up Victor for a moment. Uh, actually, we should let him go. Actually, we should just let him go because we choose chaos, which is a great panel. The panel of Mystique and Destiny saying, we choose chaos. I mean, you're going to see that a gazillion times on social media over the next, you know, for the rest of the Krakoa era. It's great. It's a great choice. It's a great pick. And also, like, pretty smart. You know, even without having Destiny's foresight, or at least, like, for those of you who don't, I, I don't share this experience that you have, but I imagine you going through life blind to the futures and possible predictions of the world. Um, Sabretooth out there in the world for Mystique and Destiny means him causing havoc, him trying to upend Professor X's schemes, these sorts of things. These are things that potentially suit both Mystique and Destiny. And what we see by the end of this, so Sabretooth's sailing away, right? He's, he's sticksing, he's come sailing away, and he is immediately, <laughs> like immediately stopped by one of Orcus's apparent many private prisons. Um, and he is, he says basically like, hey, I don't, I don't know that they, I guess they say you're in um, waters you're not supposed to be in or whatever, right? But, uh, but like, otherwise there's not like a clear statement that like, hey, you've committed some crime or anything before they immediately and way too quickly zap a power inhibiting collar on him. Like, like from a great distance, right? Like, like they, they threw this one in, from a distance. <laughs> okay. This was, listen, if Kyle Orton had this arm strength, be in the Hall of Fame, right? Right? Like this was a Rex Grossman bomb, baby. And they get the collar on Sabretooth's neck from way, way far away. You know, I was thinking about this earlier. I've in the past, talking about X-Men comics, said that I don't love how prevalent and how easily accessible uh, power dampening mutant collars or, or tech is in the Marvel Universe right now. In the Krakoa era, like, everyone has it. I've actually kind of come around all the way the other way on that, but with a caveat, okay? And I think here's part of it. If this tech existed, and Genosha had this, right, way back in, what, Extinction Agenda? Early 90s, right? The tech exists in the Marvel Universe. When tech exists, other nations take it and manipulate it, and make it their own. So that's pretty believable, actually. That the tech exists, a lot of folks are going to get it, and they're going to have it, and they're going to be able to utilize it. Okay, right? Given that, given that, and given that we've seen it a ton in the Marvel Universe, I'm now kind of like, okay, if we're, if we're going to do that, and we're going to make it the kind of threat that can hit Sabretooth in the blink of an eye from a distance... Okay, like he doesn't even have a chance to fight against this, then I think we actually need to do that and start talking about the fact 
that mutants are incredibly unsafe anywhere outside of Krakoa. Like, that piece of the puzzle, I don't think, has been super well articulated. Um, I don't think it's really been covered especially well. I mean, I, up until this point, and until kind of thinking about this, I was under the impression that, like, yes, mutants are feared and hated. And yes, the sort of intolerance and anger and, and fear around what they're doing is only increasing, right? It's only increasing with them claiming Mars and very publicly, you know, making their presence known and declaring a nation for themselves. But there were still mutants and still are a lot of mutants who seem to be sort of existing outside of Krakoa. You know, um, maybe a lot's the wrong word, but like there are some who choose not to be on Krakoa. The implication that this Orcus moment gives is like, yeah, they're, they're going to be, and maybe have been already just rounded up in prisons by Orcus. Like, has that already happened? Maybe that's what's to come here. And maybe that's what we're about to see because who better to tackle that than the vault, right? With the commentary he's already made, um, but I feel like if that's the case, like if it's this easy to capture Sabretooth and get him in one of their prisons here in Purgatory, then I think more needs to be made of the fact that mutants outside of Krakoa are not safe. And frankly, then that has to have ramifications on how Krakoa itself is dealing with the rest of the world. I mean, we're still in peacetime Krakoa of a sort of a sort, right? But there is now a for-profit prison system across the globe run by Orcus that is apparently just rounding up and imprisoning mutants for being mutants. Like, that needs to be dealt with. You know? That is that is not something you can kind of just have in the background of like, oh yeah, that's Victor's book, and that doesn't impact um, what's going on over here in, in Immortal X-Men. It can and it should. Like, that's a big deal. That is a big deal. Um, so I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing more there and, and more commentary around it, frankly. Um, I, I'm seeing here in the, the live chat, and yes, I do want to comment here. On the data page, there was a reference. So there's a reference to six prisons that Orcus has right now. You know, and ostensibly they're all mutant prisons, but that's kind of conjecture. Um, the first one was destroyed by Juggernaut and Deadpool. Uh, this happened in the Fabian Nicieza written... Infinity comic. Uh, this is X-Men Unlimited. I think it's the arc immediately following Nature Girl's turn as <laughs> a murdering eco-assassin. Uh, I kind of checked out on that run, but I do vaguely remember that. So that's where that's from. Um, and shouts to the Infinity comics getting woven in to the story. I do kind of enjoy that, uh, that they're, they're a part of this continuity, right? They aren't just their own thing. The most interesting piece of the prison system was there were two redacted items. Um, and basically it was like one of the prisons has been, we made a deal with redacted and now that redacted prison has been misappropriated. Okay. It has been misused <laughs> beyond Orcus's intentions. The question of course then becoming, okay, what potentially very interesting Marvel character is, is running this prison? A uh, few names come to mind. Okay, we had Arcade, we know was was working on some sort of prison system for the Hellions, right, that then Mr. Sinister sort of co-opted. He's out there. You've got the Sinister of Clubs, right, working with Orcus already, so that's a possibility. Um, you've always got Doctor Doom. You've always got Doctor Doom, right, in the picture, and of course would not 
want to work with Orcus, would just do his own thing. A lot of interesting names that could be in the conversation around misappropriating an Orcus prison. Uh, that's an interesting mystery, and I'm definitely intrigued to see where that goes. I was also intrigued to see that one of the prisons was working on Chimera protocols. One of the prisons is working on Chimera protocols. Obviously, Chimeras have been in the far back of our minds since Powers of Ten in terms of, and, and seemingly really only Mr. Sinister is kind of like cognizant of and, and making time to create these hybrid mutants and, and these hybrid power sets. Uh, apparently, Orx is working on this as well. And, and that definitely sets the stage for some of what we saw in Powers of Ten in terms of, you know, these hybrids being controlled by anti-mutant forces. Okay. So, all right. So, yeah, Sabretooth number five, I mean, it's an effective ending. Um, it doesn't go way bigger than it has to. Okay. I think it, it could have gone a little bigger if it wanted to, but it, it's not the end. It's not the end. Again, we're like, we're in a triptych here. I mean, I think the there's a quote from Paradise Lost. So the obvious... Uh, development here seems to be, okay, this was the Hell Mini, next is Purgatory, a.k.a. Sabretooth in an Orcus prison, and then the final presumably be, would be Heaven. But what that would even look like for Sabretooth, I do not know. <laughs> right? Uh, but presumably that's going to be kind of the thematic arc of these miniseries. You know? Uh, shouts, too, to, to the team for, you know, so we've caught up continuity-wise, right? This book started immediately following House and Powers over the course of the five issues. You know, last issue we saw reference to X-Lives and X-Deaths of Wolverine. We are now effectively at present day. Um, you could make a chronology argument in terms of like, maybe this is a before certain elements of Immortal X-Men, maybe it's after. Either way, we weave in the newest prisoners in the pit, Nanny, Orphan Maker, and Toad. They finally show up as Doug Ramsey negotiates setting all of them free-ish, the remainder, those who were left behind by Sabretooth and now Nanny Orphan Maker and Toad, setting them free-ish to go potentially capture and stop Sabretooth, you know? Uh, I find Doug's role in Warlock's non-role, like, like, Warlock doesn't even get a line here, which is weird, but uh, I find Doug's role strange throughout this whole series. Um, it's not a critique I have fully formed at this point, but I found his role in all of this odd, I don't know what Doug was trying to do. It seemed like in the early stages of this series that he had plans for Victor, right? It seemed like he had, you know, kind of secret schemes, as he has now. Like, Doug is, has Warlock and has Krakoa on his side. He's got assets. Um, what was he planning? What was he thinking? What was he trying to do with Sabretooth and this crew? I don't know. <laughs> I'd have to go back and revisit it from that lens. I'm definitely unclear on what Doug's plan was. He kind of just looked like a dope by the end of this. Maybe that's the point. Maybe that's the point, but I don't know for sure. Um, but it seemed like there was more, more to come there that we never quite got. But all right, so finally, the big reveal, the little bit that we do get of Destiny's vision, where Destiny strikes again, is Sabretooth and the Exiles are coming. Okay, we get a glimpse of Sabretooth in a wheelchair, wheelchair-looking thing, saying to me, my exiles, right, taking up the role of Professor X. Why does this matter, and why have I been calling for Sabretooth and the exiles forever? The exiles are a known Marvel property. 
right? The Exiles are a known Marvel Universe property. Um, there's an early 2000 series that is very mutant-centric. It's not an X-Book per se, but, like, it kind of is because Blink from the Age of Apocalypse, a.k.a. Uh, she was she debuted in the Phalanx Covenant. She is a mutant, and she is, like, the, the leader of this team in many ways. Morph from the Age of Apocalypse is also in this series for a while. There's a lot of mutant connections, even though it is not distinctly and, and entirely mutant-focused, including we also get here a character that came up um, during the, the previous Immortal X-Men, which is Nightcrawler's daughter from an alternate reality, um, Nocturne. She's on this Exiles team for a while, right? So, so Exiles is like a multiverse-hopping series. Um, it's, it's originally written by Judd Winnick. Uh, I love those early 2000s Exiles book. It goes for a long time. Chris Claremont takes over at one point. It goes until, like, I don't know, like post-Civil War. I think uh, there's a reboot of the run semi recently that Solid Anomaly wrote, wrote um, that I was not as crazy about, but same concept, same idea. It had Captain Carter stuff. Uh, it was more MCUified. There was a tiny, cute little Wolverine in that. That was fun. Um, but the Exiles of Sitting there otherwise, right? They're not in use otherwise. So Sabretooth in the Exiles. You know what I had anticipated? What I was actually predicting was we had no idea what the pit was in Krakoa, and I was hoping it was some sort of weird space, subliminal space, that would allow for multiverse travel, and that Sabretooth would meet these exiles in the pit, and that they would then break out and, and start sort of a classic exiles-type story. Uh, what appears to be happening instead is sort of retranslating what exiles means here as likely all of these prisoners that Sabretooth is going to lead on a revolution taking down purgatory, you know, but that's, that's the implication. Um, but again, the series isn't even announced yet. It's not official. We don't know for sure. It's cool. <laughs> it's cool, man. It was a good five issue mini, great five issue mini even. And I'm excited about what comes next. I'm, I'm really glad Laval's on this. I my, honestly, just my biggest hope at this point is that by the end of this, you know, Trinity trilogy, of Sabretooth works that like Laval is available and open enough to doing more X-Men stuff because the X office I think needs, needs this point of view and needs this presence. Um, all right. So get in your thoughts, get in your theories here in the live chat. Who do you think the redacted villain is or just character? Cause it doesn't have to be a villain. Um, getting that sort of thing. I'm gonna take a big old sip of water and then we'll keep going. So let's say here from James, we got, how about this idea that Sabretooth has corrupted Krakoa with some of his evil? Um, okay, so I think, see, I don't see this as with some of his evil so much as Sabretooth is kind of starting a revolution of sorts, but he's doing it entirely for his own gain. He has no interest in the actual mechanics of Krakoan revolution, but he starts planting those seeds, and there's a really interesting page here that talks about, you know, okay, Sabretooth swore vengeance on Professor X. Professor X is immortal, though. If he kills him, they can just bring him back, at least right now. Um, but what he does is he stains his reputation. You know, because as much as we know, with full knowledge of what's happening in the Krakoa era, 
about all the mistakes and and all of the things that Professor X has done that we can say, wow, he's <laughs> he has failed completely. Um, he is he is not the Patrick Stewart that we all know and want him to be. The point of view of mutants on Krakoa does not have almost any of that knowledge, right? They don't know what the Quiet Council knows. Um, Professor X, I would think, is still the founder and father of this nation, like as far as they're concerned, you know? So I, I don't think they they have that knowledge, but I think Sabretooth kind of starts putting it out there and those whispers are going to pass through mutant civilization and his reputation is damaged and that's the damage that was done at least at this point in time. So if you want to talk about, you know, an infection, I think it's ultimately a positive one for everyone except Professor X, <laughs> right? It hurts him, but not necessarily anyone else. Um, see a comment here. What if Sabretooth leads to fall of X? <sighs> I don't think Sabretooth has the juice to get there, you know? Um, cause that, like, that's the, that's the initial kind of where we seem to be going is Sabretooth sailing off in his ship and he's like, I'm going to get an army and I'm going to attack Rakoa. Um, but that's too simple. That's too simple and not that interesting it's not inconceivable that you could take a character like Sabretooth and have them, like, be the mutant working with Orcus, at least for a time. I don't think Sabretooth ultimately sticks with that. Um, but even that doesn't look like it's probably what is going to happen, you know, because if he's leading this revolution of his exiles in a prison. So, yeah, I, I don't think Sabretooth has the juice for a Fall of X type thing. Um, I think a Fall of X type thing has to be Moira orchestrated, and and more heavily tied to Orcus would be my assumption, my prediction. I've seen here to bet the redacted name is Reed Richards. <laughs> if <laughs> if Reed is straight up in the private prison prison business, <laughs> we can we can check out a Fantastic Four for a while, for a while. No, thank you. I do not think Reed Richards will be involved with a prison full of mutants. <laughs> dude, dude has plans, and I think wants his, his revenge on Magneto and Professor X for what they did with to him, uh, taking away his knowledge of his, his mutant dampening device. But I don't think <laughs> to the point of funding and founding a, a prison. Uh, I would be shocked and appalled by that news. Let's see. Question from Bill. Is the T'Challa-Aurora breakup imminent since Black Panther number one? Um, I, I mean, they kind of, they aren't really together, right? Like, they're clearly in love, but they've also many times over the past few years, like, pretty clearly identified, both of them, that, like, they can't be together and they won't be together. So I don't, even as a, breakup, I don't know, it doesn't have the same, same weight as other connotations. Like they are, they are, they love each other, but they're separate. I think in many ways, um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know that anything happening to Aurora on Araco would like lead to action or anything from T'Challa. Like T'Challa's got a plenty going on. <laughs> like, dude, dude's busy. Um, he'd be hurt certainly, but yeah, I, I don't necessarily see that being a big part of of the narrative right now although definitely like there's still a lot to be done with Wakanda and Krakoa's relationship and their connections um that has not 
been tapped into much at all beyond I mean really the only pieces of that that we really get are these occasional Aurora and T'Challa moments where they connect but then ultimately they're like we're good <laughs> you know um, and it doesn't really go anywhere big let's see and I'm seeing I'm seeing another thought that the first redacted text could be Wakanda um, it's possible it's possible but that doesn't quite feel right to me with the misappropriated piece. Uh, although, you know, T'Challa is not the king of Wakanda right now, right? What's going on in the pages of Black Panther is there's there's new form of government, new forms of leadership, T'Challa's on the outs. So it's not the same that it always was. Um, but that would be, again, like that's, if you're a nation doing that, that's a declaration of war in effect. And, and that seems like a pretty ballsy play. Uh, for Wakanda. Not that they wouldn't do that, but I don't know why. Let's see. What else do we got? Let Storm date other people. <laughs> sure. <laughs> why not? Yeah. Um, she's busy, you know. It's tough. It's tough out there on Mars, but but yeah, absolutely. I, I, think, <laughs> I think that would be fine. Uh, do you think eventually they might just have to send Wolverine after Sabretooth? I bet by the end of this, that's where we get to. I bet, but like it, it would be pretty crazy to do 15 issues of Sabretooth and never have Wolverine involved. Although I have to say, the book doesn't need it. It did, or didn't need it so far. I think by the end of this, maybe we get a little like, oh, Wolverine, go get him. But then actually he's in his new Sabretooth heaven, whatever the heck that's going to be. And ultimately nothing needs to be done. Nothing needs to be done. Um, okay. Good questions. Good questions, everybody. All right, let's talk very briefly about Legion of X number three. Uh, this is written by Cy Spurrier. We got artist Jan Bezaldua, colors by Federico Blee, letters by Clayton Coles. <sighs> here's, here's the thing about Legion of X. I tried. I really did. I tried. Um, wanted to like it. I liked Way of X until I really didn't. You know, the thing about Way of X is it was one of my favorite books in the Krakow era for like two issues. And then it made some choices that I thought were really off-putting, but I still appreciated that somebody was trying. Um, and I still do. Like, I still credit Spurrier for actually taking on building Krakoan society because most creators in the X office are not doing that. They are not actually trying. Victor Laval just did. Taking on Krakoan society, right? What does it mean to imprison our quote-unquote problems in a Krakoan pit <laughs> for all of eternity. Taking that on. Good. Okay, Spurrier does that in Way of X with like, okay, if we're going to tease this Nightcrawler building a mutant religion and what should that even look like to get to a moral center for a people that cannot die? These are big, difficult questions. And Spurrier takes it on. And I think some instances, some moments work really poorly. The third issue is one that I still think is one of the weirdest, strangest, and ultimately possibly most damaging issues of this entire era, where it was like, yeah, mutants have babies and then just dispose of them. They just give them away to this orphanage run by Stacey X. Like, like that issue alone can be and probably will be critiqued into oblivion. You know, it was a bizarre choice, truly bizarre. But again, I do give credit to your creator for actually trying to answer questions like that because nobody else is doing it. Nobody else is doing it, okay? So there's the credit I can give. Legion of X, <laughs> it's a mess. It's a mess. I don't know 
what this book wants to be. I don't at all know what this book wants to be. Um, and it's a real bummer. It is a real bummer. I tried. I'm out. I mean, I am, I am firmly out uh, unless something totally new and, and unique happened. And people said like, okay, check it out. It found its footing. Uh, there's a quote here within this issue. What a fantastically poetic way of telling me nothing by weaponless Zen. That's what this book is. That sums up this book. I don't know if it's in the book with a nod and a wink and it's Spurrier being meta or, or if it's actually, you know, unintentional comedy. Um, it's fantastically poetic. Spurrier can write the hell <laughs> out of a book. I know this, right? I love tons of Spurrier written books. Um, Suicide Squad Blaze, the third issue came out today, DC Black Label book. That's been really interesting with Aaron Campbell, his Hellblazer recently, Six Gun Gorilla, I love. We can go on and on. We can do the whole thing, right? Wrote the best Legion stories of all time. X-Men Legacy. Uh, this book is not that. Like, this book is an absolute, absolute mess. Um, I don't get what... It, like, like the premise... The premise of Legion of X seems to be... Okay, what Way of X did for reimagining religion with the spark, whether that works or not, it tried, okay? And it's going to do that, but it's going to do it with policing and taking on a new kind of justice. But is this book doing that at all? It does. To me, it doesn't feel like it actually is. And I think those are interesting questions. Those are really challenging questions, right? Those are really relevant questions. I don't see Legion of X actually taking that on and providing answers. Um, I Bizarre book that I cannot get into and, and I, I'm definitely checked out. I mean, if somebody is like, again, like if you're there in the chat, you're like, wow, like I love Legion of X. Like it rules great. Like I'm like more power to you. Um, I just personally, it's neither fun nor intellectually stimulating. It's just messy. And I wish it were otherwise, but it is not working for me. It does not work for me. I'm out, out on Legion of X. Um, also just like borderline everything going on with Nightcrawler. Like, makes me wish he was in a new book. <laughs> like, like the more the more that happens here, including, yeah, just, the like, the longer Nightcrawler's in this book, the more I'm like, please put him in a new book. <laughs> it is, it's, it's a, getting to be a problem. It's getting to be a problem. Um, I don't know. Maybe it'll, maybe it'll find its footing and it'll go somewhere else. But right now, I do not think it has a clear destination. Uh, it's probably, I mean... <sighs> I mean, yeah, it's my least favorite of the Destiny of X. I don't, I don't think that's there's any challenger necessarily to that. Um, it's definitely the book that is the least clear on what it wants to be, which is too bad. Which is too bad because it has potential. It has potential certainly, but I don't think it's really delivering. Uh, so all right, so that's a short Legion of X <laughs> review. Um, let's let's talk. Let's see. We got one more thing I wanted to do. Oh, yeah, the Jim Lee, the Jim Lee cards. I'll show you all this. Um, okay. Oh, we had one question at the top of this that I did want to make sure I addressed. And get in any questions that you have here in the live chat, and I'll address those as well. Do you foresee any X-Men and Fantastic Four interactions coming up? Has Reed's anti-mutant tech storyline been resolved? And I just missed it. So we sort of talked about this a little bit with the prison. But, um, no, that storyline has not been resolved. Okay. Uh, next week should be a really big week for X-Men comics. The Hellfire Gala returns next week with a giant one-shot kind of thing, right? So the last time Reed's anti-mutant tech story came up was, I think it was last year's Hellfire Gala, wasn't it? 
and uh, and he you know was like, I know what you did, and you know I'm gonna I'm gonna get you kind of thing. So it could definitely come back up next week in the Hellfire Gala, um, but no, it has not come up since. I do I see uh, foreseeing the X Men Fantastic Four interactions? Yeah, I mean, kind of what I was talking about last week was like I increasingly anticipate the center of the Marvel Universe is going to revolve and rotate through X-Men and through the Krakoa era. And if that is the case, then absolutely the Fantastic Four are going to to have more interactions with them. Um, I can't imagine once the FF are out of, of Dan Slott's control that Franklin and his connections to Mutant Kind will be done with. You know, I would imagine a, crea- a new creative team on the Fantastic Four might want to play with that. <laughs> <laughs> that that incredibly interesting thing that was suddenly undone. So uh, so yeah, I I do anticipate that that there will be interactions, although nothing like obvious or massive because you know we got this Avengers X Men Eternals Judgment Day coming down. That the prelude to that starts next week too. Um, so I don't think we'll get like an X Men versus Fantastic Four kind of war thing uh, at least for another year after this one. But yeah, they'll interact. I don't doubt it. I don't doubt it. Uh, all right. So I want to get that question done. Let's look now at some good old Jim Lee X-Men stuff. Okay. So let's see. Let's take away this fun stuff. There we go. Okay. So I mentioned I've got this Uncanny X-Men Jim Lee trading cards book from Abrams Comics Arts. There are 152, I believe, uh, individual trading cards. Jim Lee did the art for these in 1992. They were sold throughout the early 90s. This is the complete series of all those. There's an introduction here by Ed Pisker, who uh, you may know on YouTube from Cartoonist Kayfabe, also wrote uh, Hip Hop Grand... Is it Grand Design? No, that's the, that's the actual one. Hip Hop Family Tree via Fantagraphics, which is a really good uh, hip hop history that I dug a lot. Um, and there's an intro here by Bob Budiansky, an editor of Marvel Special Projects at the time, talking in depth about, you know, this project and how it came to be and all that. But of course, of course, what we're here for is to actually see these cards. Did anybody have these? Did anybody have these in the 90s? So we got here, here's the Apocalypse card. Okay, so you get the Jim Lee art on the Apocalypse card. You get a little commentary. This one's from Brevort, Tom Brevort, a Marvel editor. Uh, he says here, Apocalypse is an immortal mutant from ancient Egypt. If you were going to have a letter on his belt, it should have been an Egyptian hieroglyph, not a letter A. That's a fair point. That's a really fair point. Um, always time to correct that? Like, why? Like, Apocalypse can, can, you know, change shape? Why would he not correct that? Although, by the same logic, like, does it make any sense that Galactus had a big old G on his belt when he showed up when Jack Kirby designed him because Stan Lee said, draw God? No, <laughs> it does not. Kind of rules, though. Kind of rules. Um, what I really dig about these cards, too, though, is you get the stats, right? And this definitely brings out Nostalgic Child and me of their Cerebro scan and their statistics, okay? You get uh, energy protection, mental powers, strength, fighting ability, and intelligence. Apocalypse ranked a 5 out of 7 on intelligence, Right? Um, that's not the best. <laughs> I've seen better. Let's see. Oh, here's Mask. Good old Mask got a, got a card. Decent, decent Jim Lee art here. Take a look at this one. 
But the reason I highlight Mask is because Mask does not score above a two <laughs> on anything. That's harsh. That's real harsh. Um, let's see. We got, of course, our guy from today, Sabretooth. And you get this this little snippet in Jim Lee's art. I mean, it's it's in very interesting piece of Marvel history. Let's see. Uh, Sabretooth's fighting ability is a seven, which is the highest any of these go. Intelligence, though, oh, a two. I gave him a two. Uh, not the highest, but not the lowest. Yeah, I mean, these villain ones are, are particularly fun to me because a lot of these villains are characters Jim Lee, you know, would not have had drawn in his X-Men run because, again, by the time we get to 1992, Jim Lee's nearly on his way out the door with the Image Revolution. His actual X-Men run, right, he made he drew the world's coolest Magneto, and you get reference here. This is from the, the first three issues with Claremont, right? His, his Magneto's just off the charts cool. Um, but then beyond that, I mean, look at his toad. That's a good toad. That's a classic Kirby Brotherhood of Evil toad, but with the Jim Lee 90s flair. I dig that. I'm seeing a handful of folks here in the live chat used to collect these. Let's see. Uh, toad's highest rating is on his intelligence at a four. Everything else is scored under a two. This must be post... Yeah, it's 1992. So this is like... Like, Toad was running, like, some, like, his own Brotherhood kind of stuff. Maybe an X-Force, I think. Maybe, is that the Peter David stuff? It happens somewhere in there where Toad kind of becomes an evil mastermind. Oh, here we go. Here's what I'm talking about. That is 1990 art, baby. Jim Lee Shadow King. I would track down that card. I would track down that card. I'll be honest. I, uh, oh, here's what, here's what Jim Lee brought to the industry as well. Legs. Legs that go all the way to the floor. That was Jim Lee's contribution. <laughs> One of them, at least. Uh, yeah, this is a really cool book. This is a real cool book. This is fun. I was I was hoping, totally irrationally, that when um, when Abrams was like, "Hey, would you you know would you be interested in a copy and talking about it?" That they would actually just send me like packs of the cards. <laughs> They're probably worth like a decent amount of money. No, of course that's not what this is. But it's a nice hardcover collection. If you have X-Men fans in your life, this has got to be the best co the coffee table book. Like, are coffee table books still a thing? Do people do that? I don't know, right? I try to avoid social anything. But uh, <laughs> but this is a good one. This is a good one. I'm digging this. I'm definitely going to be flipping through this. My kids are going to love this, right? Without even knowing a heck of a lot about X-Men or these characters, like, no chance my kids aren't just immediately in love with this Lockheed. Zero percent chance. Um, it's a cool one. It's a cool one. All right, I want to share that with you all because I got it. Again, it's via Abrams Comics Arts. They're putting out some really cool stuff these days. And uh, and this one, obviously, relevant for the X-Heads. Uh, I'm going to be looking at all 152 of these. Maybe I'll share some of these out on social, of course, where you can find me. At Comic Book Herald. Just like that. As always, all right, I saw one final question I want to talk about here before I go. Uh, any prognostications on Thor, Love, and Thunder? I will be seeing it. I will be seeing it soon. Okay, so I talked a little bit about, about this on My Marvelous Year, uh, the podcast we do where we go through the history of Marvel Comics from its origins to today. We are up to 1998. 1998 starting soon. Best time to come join. Best time to come join. Uh, we're going to talk about the movie in full on this next week's episode. Subscribe to My Marvelous Year podcast if you want to hear about that. My prognostications are I'm nervous about full Taika Unleashed. Okay? I think... The Taika-sans, I think we were post-peak Taika. 
That's what I expect. Taika Waititi, great director, very funny individual, has done some awesome stuff. I think we're post-peak. And what that means is we're coming around the mountain. We're coming back down. The backlash is going to kick in. People are going to start having more adverse reactions to the style of comedy. I just think we're there. That's just what I, I anticipate. Okay? I think it's going to be a movie. I think it's going to be a lot like Guardians of the Galaxy 2. A movie that wants to be very funny, at times is, plot-wise is otherwise a bit of a mess. Right? And, and it kind of winds up being one of those films that is some people's favorite it is middle tier for many. Um, it's very few people's, you know, least favorite or anything, right? I think Thor Love and Thunder is going to be in the Guardians 2 conversation. I think it'll be fun. I think a lot of it is just going to be, what is your tolerance for the humor here? Is it hitting? Is it hitting? Because the thing with Ragnarok, that Ragnarok had going for it, was most people didn't anticipate that humor. We had had two pretty humorless Thor movies, <laughs> right? And then we get Ragnarok... It's genuinely funny. It's compelling. There's a ton of fun stuff going on. It's vibrant. It's colorful. Ragnarok stood out like crazy. That's still, that is the MCU movie that my wife would watch, like, any moment, right? Like, she, she would be like, oh, Ragnarok's on? Like, let's check that out, right? Which is a thing that never happens. We have three kids. We're never just, like, sitting there watching and something pops on. What? How would we have that time? That never happens. But that is her favorite movie by miles, by miles, okay? And she's not a moral person. She's not a comics person, you know? So that's that, to me, signifies, like, yeah, this has, like, appeal beyond nerdy comic stuff. Just that. I love Ragnarok. It's one of my favorite, probably six or seven. I think I've got it in there. It's very top tier or second tier for me. I forget which exactly. Um, I don't think Thor Love and Thunder is going to be that good. And I think it kind of can't be that good because now my expectations are too high. Probably. Now, what has helped that in recent days is I have seen the Rotten Tomatoes stuff coming in and the critical reception seems to be mixed. I'm actually encouraged by that because that seems to indicate this will either hit really hard in all the right ways or it'll be kind of a bust. But I actually appreciate going into it feeling that way because now my expectations are lower. And if I'm going to like it, I'll like it more because <laughs> I can't I can't be let down because I don't expect as much of it at this point. Right. Galaxy brain thinking. Right? If people think it's not as good, maybe I'll like it more than they did. <laughs> There's a chance. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I don't I, I kind of anticipate it's gonna be mid-tier MCU stuff. I think the mileage is going to be almost entirely your tolerance for for the joke writing in it. Um, beyond that, I, I guess it doesn't feel like a movie that's gonna do big where's the Marvel Universe going stuff. And maybe that's where I'll be the most pleasantly surprised, you know, to find that like, oh, this has actually really big Marvel cosmic ramifications. I guess that would be the piece that I put the least thought into that I'd like to see it take on because I, I try to avoid too much pre-release hype, right? Any, any pre-game stuff. I'll watch like the first trailer and then I don't want to hear hardly anything about it beyond that point. Um, and I haven't with Thor Love and Thunder. Like I want to avoid all that. I want to experience it firsthand and, and see what can surprise me and what can I... What can I take away that I was not anticipating? I don't want to know a heck of a lot going into it. Um, but those are that's my my pregame, you know, spoiler-free predictions for what I th what kind of movie I think Thor: Love and Thunder is going to be. Um, it's hard to imagine it's going to do anything with the multiverse, you know, which has been the last couple movies, which I think is fine. I think a, a reprieve from that will be enjoyable. I think you know ultimately it's going to do more with the cosmic god pantheon, who's in that. What does it mean? 
what is Gore doing with them, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, ultimately, probably the best thing that this movie can do is to get everyone to go read Thor, God of Thunder, right? Marvel Now era, Jason Aaron, Isad Ribic, that run from 2012 to 2015, Knockout, just absolute classic. Then you get the mighty Thor, Jane Foster era, where Russell Dowderman and Matthew Wilson turned that book into a knockout absolute classic. Um, the Aaron run benefits from amazing, amazing art throughout. Uh, great reads, highly recommended. Definitely check those out if you have not read them before. Okay. I heard Gore is the best MCU villain yet. It, it would be very refreshing if Gore was actually genuinely good. I mean, the, the, the thing about MCU villains is, like, it's a kind of low bar. It's a, it's a depressingly low bar um, because they don't necessarily get a lot of runway, right? They don't necessarily, and they never get to survive their movies. So we never get to see them again. Um, I, I hope Gore is genuinely good. I can't imagine they're going to, you know, they, the, the searcher was a joke in Ragnarok, a literal joke. It was a punchline. And searcher, as we know, is kind of a big deal <laughs> in Asgardian mythos. I don't think they'll do that with Gore the God Butcher here. It would be weird. And strange to do that with a, a, you know, with Batman, Christian Bale. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to seeing that done well. I I can't imagine it being better than Thor: God of Thunder, or frankly even equivalent with the actual comics run. Um, but that's a perpetual problem. I always like comics more. So yeah, um, I'm saying here Thanos and Killmonger were awesome. Yeah, I'm not saying they've never done it, but like, but also like, MCU Thanos, a shade, a shade of comics Thanos, not even close. Not even close to as cool, okay? But still good. Still good for the movies. Um, Killmonger was done well, but again, like, we never... Here's a theory. Uh, it was announced today in October, Marvel's going to release uh, a series called Wakanda. It's a five-issue mini. It's going to be written by two former comics critics, Stephanie Williams and Evan Narcisi. And apologies if I mispronounced that. Never said it out loud before. And uh, I'm excited for it. should be interesting. It's about Killmonger and Shuri and probably some others, you know, protecting Wakanda and kind of what's going on in Wakanda with T'Challa on the outs from the nation. That's pretty close to when Black Panther 2 is coming out. Made me think, okay, if you're going to do a post-Black Panther world in Black Panther 2, or a post-T'Challa world, rather, which is what has to happen. You know, Chadwick Boseman passed away so so unfortunately. Um, you could bring Killmonger back. <laughs> it, wouldn't be, it wouldn't be that hard, right? And... I think it would be better if they did. I really do. Um, I would like to see that. I'd like to see that in Black Panther 2. But I have no inside information. No inside information. All right. One more drink of water. Any final questions? Let's hear them. And then it will be done. I don't think Taika is over. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think this is the end of the Taika Waititi era. He's incredibly popular. A lot of stuff's doing well. Our Flag Means Death was, like, super interesting. Um, I wasn't, like, head over heels with it, but it, it did some really good stuff. Um, so, no, I, I'm not saying, like, he's done. I just think, like, there's every kind of Hollywood figure, every kind of artist has, like, a moment. And I think we're kind of past the peak, and I think we're going to see a lot of backlash to his version of Love and Thunder, um, especially just because it seems to be... Well, I don't know what it seems to be, but I'm just anticipating it's going to be a little too reliant on attempts at humor that aren't going to be everyone's cup of tea. I'm trying to see here. Somebody asked when this X-Men book comes out, the trading card book, because you know, I've got the review copy here. And this will actually come out in August. 
So this comes out in August 2022. Um, if I was smart, I would include a link. But uh, but again, if you Google Uncanny X-Men Trading Cards, the complete series by Abrams Comic Arts, and tell them Dave sent you. <laughs> okay. All right, let's see any final questions. Do you think Jerry Duggan is going to stick around on X-Men after Axe? Ooh. Uh, that's interesting. I do? But it would be really interesting if he didn't. Um, I guess if I'm a Marvel writer, and I'm not solidified in the way that a Hickman is, or even Laval, right, has his, his novel career, I don't know why he'd leave the X office. I guess Zeb Wells did it. But that was for The Amazing Spider-Man. <laughs> That's a big one, if you don't know. I read the first five issues of Wells' uh, Amazing Spider-Man this past week, by the way. Um, I enjoyed it. It did not go on my best Marvel Comics of 2022 list yet. But I think it could get there by the end. I kind of got to see how some of this mystery stuff plays out first. Uh, but I enjoyed reading it. Like, I had a good time. But it's not incredibly special, I guess. Um... But it's not like I wanted to stop, so I'm I'm on the fence about it. I'm super on the fence about it. I can't make up my mind. Uh, yeah, I don't I don't know with Doug, like I don't know with Doug and why he would leave. I guess is the thing. I mean, I, I think every appearance seems to be post Hellfire Gala. There will be a new X Men lineup announced, and presumably Duggan will be the writer of that team. Although that'd be a cool swerve if that wasn't the case. But that that seems to be what's going on. Um, also, Zeb Wells does have TV money, <laughs> right? Does have TV money. Uh, but yeah, I mean, anybody else in the... I guess Gillen could go do their own thing. Obviously, Ewing doesn't need it necessarily, right? So yeah, you do have creators can go do their own thing. Hopefully, they don't. All right. Thanks, everybody, for listening. I appreciate it. I appreciate you all being here and uh, and talking comics with me. It's super fun every Wednesday. If the comics are good, next Wednesday is definitely going to be... We're going to be having a comic here live because it is loaded with stuff. There's going to be a new Immortal X-Men. There's going to be Hellfire Gala. There's going to be a preview for, um, not preview, prelude to Avengers X-Men Judgment Day. I mean, it's going to be big. Next week is going to be very, very big, and I'll be here talking about it. I hope to see you all there. So thanks for listening. 